Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. We are diving into chapter 14 today, and we're going to take the first five verses. Chapter 14 is it's 20 verses long. We're going to take the first five, so it, it's, there's so much depth in it. I thought, okay, we'll break this up into a couple of chunks so that people uh, can try to retain it all, I hope. So we'll, we'll go through the first five verses today, and as I always love to do, I'd like to just hit a couple of slides of a, an overview of the apocalypse. So that's Revelation in the Greek is apocalypso, and it literally means the unveiling of. So it's the, it opens up the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. So the book is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Don't have a, we, if you are in Jesus, should not have a negative connotation with the word apocalypse. It literally just means the unveiling of, and it's, again, it's amazing how the world and our culture has such a negative connotation with that word. You know, you just hear about, oh, the apocalypse. Well, you think instantly of fire from heaven and meteors and famines and people running for their lives and things like that, but it's amazing how they get that, that insight just from the word and then reading this book because they read all this crazy stuff and they just think, well, the apocalypse must be something really, really bad. But for us, and, and frankly, for those in Jesus, it's the most hopeful thing that we have is that the Lord has to prepare the earth for his arrival to rule and to reign. And it's just like when he removed the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said, I had to take you out because I can't dwell with you there. He couldn't dwell with them in a place that was full of sin, idolatry, pagan worship, etc. He had to prepare a way to get them out to a place where he could dwell with them. Well, it's the same thing. He's got to prepare the earth for him to come back and dwell with us. So it's the same thing. But the, the Revelation, it's probably the most misunderstood book of the Bible. And the reason is because people aren't familiar with the Old Testament. They don't understand the role of Israel in the end times, in God's plan for the end times. The whole book is about Israel and redemption. It has nothing to do with the church. The church is gone, praise God, in chapter 4, verse 1. So we have this supernatural outline in the book. Chapter 1, the things that John saw, which was the glorified ruling Jesus. Chapters 2 and 3 are the things which are, which is the church, the church body, chapters 2 and 3. And then chapters 4 through 22 are the things which shall be hereafter or after the church age. So we get that supernatural outline in chapter 1. And the four things that are going to go back where they belong in this book. The church, we will be in our rightful home, which is heaven. That's where our inheritance is. Israel will be back in its rightful home, the land God promised to them in Genesis. That is where their inheritance is. And Jesus will be on his rightful throne, the throne of David, Right now, he's at the right hand of the Father, but he's not on his throne yet. His throne is the throne uh, throne of David, the political throne ruling the world from Jerusalem. And that's what you saw the angel Gabriel promise to Mary before he was even born. 
and all evil will be bound and ultimately cast into their rightful home, which is the lake of fire. So we have this heptatic structure. It's amazing how the whole book is, is centered around sevens. You can't make a, an exhaustive list of all the sevens in the book of Revelation. So we're continuing. We've gone through the first seven seals. The seventh seal opened up the seven trumpets. And we're right in between each one of these, the sixth and the seventh, there's a break in the book where God describes something else going on during that time. So the break between the seals was chapter 7. It was just one chapter. The break between the trumpets, 6 and 7, is a five-chapter interlude. It's 10 through 14. So we're starting the last chapter of that interlude today. And then the seventh trumpet will open up to seven bowls. So and then in the break between the sixth and the seventh there, it's literally just one verse from Jesus himself, his words. But even that structure still remains. So we've gone through chapter 10, which was the little book, and the seven thunders. We went through chapter 11, the temple and the two witnesses. We went through chapter 12, which is an overview of the entire Bible, the woman, the man-child, and the dragon. We went through chapter 13 in two parts, the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth, and then the mark of the beast. So we studied that a lot last, last week. And that's really where you see the spirit of fear that's frankly gripping the church and the world right now is, is all centered around that, around chapter 13. The fear, that spirit of fear is just, it's rising more and more. It's almost like you can just feel it when you're out in the world right now. And fear is a wicked slave master. Fear makes you do things that you would never do if you were thinking clearly and logically. And the Lord says, I did not give you a spirit of fear. It also says he's not the author of confusion. And think about how much confusion is in the world right now. All of that is rooted in the enemy and in Satan himself, who in John, as Jesus says, was a liar from the beginning. And so do, whatever you do in this time right now, I'm just encouraging you. You've got to strengthen your prayer life and your faith in the word of God that you do not make any decision out of fear. If fear is driving your decision-making, it is driving you to the wrong decision. And so you've got to stay rooted in Jesus right now more than ever. Otherwise, you will do something very, very costly out of fear. So today we're opening up chapter 14, which is the Lamb, the 144,000, and the Doom who takes the mark. And we're going to take the opening five verses, which just covers the Lamb and the 144,000. So this chapter contains the following. It's got the Lamb, which is none other than Jesus Christ himself, the 144,000 who were sealed earlier in Revelation, if you remember all the way back in chapter 7. We had the first angel with the eternal gospel, the second angel with the doom of Babylon, the third angel with the fury on the beast worshipers, or also as the Revelation calls them, the earth dwellers, the fourth angel declaring the righteous dead, and then there's three angels at the end all calling for the grape harvest. And what is that all about? So we'll get to that hopefully next week. But this chapter, what I want you to realize is despite all of that, this chapter is so full of hope. Because if you are in Jesus, you have nothing to worry about. Absolutely nothing. Do you trust him in all things? That's the main question. And you trust him to preserve you in all things. What we're going to see today is that there's 144,000 on the mount, and that's exactly how many were sealed earlier in Revelation. If your name, if his name is written on your forehead, you are sealed unto the day of redemption of our God. And you do not have to worry about anything. 
So Jesus, and we're going to look at a lot of verses about that, but this chapter, it's so full of hope and victory. I don't know how many of you are anxiously awaiting a righteous king to take his seat, but man, I've got to tell you, it, the time could not come quicker in my mind. And the world is just spinning out of control with unrighteous leaders. It's, it's amazing to me that Jesus hasn't brought us home yet, <laughs> but it's okay. As long as he tarries, we're going to keep teaching the word and, and dwelling here and occupying until he comes. So the chapter opens up, verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the mount, on the mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. So the lamb. Obviously, if you know your Old Testament and you know the Gospel of John, you know that Jesus is the lamb. So this is Jesus, none other than Jesus himself standing on Mount Zion. In John 1, 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. See, John knew that this was linked back to the Passover from Exodus. In the Passover, the Lord establishes the Passover Lamb, that feast of Moses, where they'd have to slaughter the lamb and then cover your household with the blood of the lamb. And it didn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile, Egyptian, a pagan worshiper. If you were under the blood of the lamb, you were, you were spared from the death angel. It passed over that house in Egypt. So it's just, a again, a confirmation that it doesn't matter what you're doing in your life. If you are in Jesus, if you are covered by the blood, you are spared the eternal separation from the Lord himself. So then that starts what we call the sanctification process, where you have to get to know your Savior. And that's when you start to submit to him, and you submit to him things that you didn't even know you needed to submit because you're finally covered by that blood, and the Lord is refining you, ever, ever refining you. You don't have to be a perfect, sinless person to be saved. Otherwise, none of us would be saved. What you have to do is submit to him and then let him work in your life. So the Lamb of God, John calls that the Lamb of God, calls Jesus the Lamb of God, and he calls that from the Passover. So why, why is Jesus the Lamb? So he alone has the authority, and it's from Revelation 5, verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, or living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. So the seven spirits of God is directly from Isaiah 11, verse 2. You can go chase that down. But in the midst of the throne room, so if you remember from chapter 4, verse 1 is the rapture. We are in heaven as the 24 elders. We, we have the four living creatures surrounding the throne of God, which represent also the, the four faces of the cherubim. Each one had four faces. Those represent the four gospels. They laid out a cross in the, in the book of Numbers. You can chase all that down if you want to go back and listen to our message from chapters 4 and 5. But what you see here is in the midst of them, is the lamb as it had been slain. This is why Jesus can take back the earth. Because he was, he was the lamb, he was slain, and because he was resurrected, 
His sacrifice was sufficient for eternal life. So only his sacrifice could cause a resurrection. That was the only one. Okay, so because of that, he is the lamb that was slain. Now, does that mean he will forever bear the scars in heaven of what he did for us? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, We know from Isaiah that he was beaten so badly they didn't even recognize him as a man. He was beaten. He was so disfigured. He was unrecognizable as a human. That's how badly they beat him. And you don't get that when you kind of read through the Gospels and, and you picture this suntan carpenter you know, carrying a cross. He was beaten as a lamb that was slain. And if you remember from chapters 4 and 5, we, are look, we, the 24 elders, and all of us that are in heaven are looking for a man that is worthy to come forward and to take the scroll from the Father himself, to have the authority to unleash the seals to take back that title deed of the earth. And there's only one that's worthy. So in heaven, we're going to look in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And we talked a lot about that when we covered those chapters, why we look in three places. But out of the midst of us comes the only one that's worthy, the lamb as had been slain. And he comes forward to take the scroll. So there, there you have again the lamb. And Of course, all of this is rooted in the Passover, like we talked about, all the way back to Egypt. So what about Mount Zion? So here in verse 1 to open up chapter 14, the Lamb is there on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is one of the most important places to God on the earth. And it's it's kind of synonymous sometimes with Jerusalem in the Bible. If you don't know geographically, Mount Zion is basically right in the middle of Jerusalem. So the Mount of Olives is east of it. You have Mount Moriah. So Mount Zion is there, and it's all over the Bible. It's, it's the Lord declares that it is his holy hill in Psalms 2.6. He says in Psalms 2.6, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So he obviously hasn't done that yet. Jesus will sit on that mount as the holy king when he rules in the millennium. It's his dwelling place in Psalms 76.2. David captured it from the Jebusites in 2 Samuel 5, 7. It is a cup of trembling, according to Zechariah 12, 1 and 2. Zion is referenced 152 times in 152 verses in the King James Bible. It's referenced, uh, Sion with an S is referenced nine times in nine verses. So you have 161 mentions of it in the Bible, in the Word of God. So it carries a lot of weight. The Lord has a lot to say about Zion. And, and actually, if you look through the Psalms, it's referenced all throughout the book of Psalms. And Psalms is such an interesting treasure chest of prophecy and application for us. Psalms 20 send help and deliverance from Zion. And actually, all of Psalms 20 may be in reference to the 144,000. Psalms 48, the kings of the earth are gathered in a woman in travel. That sounds familiar. Psalm 74, it's the purchased singers. Psalm 76, cutting off the kings of the earth. Psalms 102, the set time has come. Psalms 110 talks about Melchizedek, a rod to rule at the right hand. Psalms 132, the Lord has chosen Zion. Psalms 133, that Israel is united.